Coming up on Chasing the Natty, the season's here, baby. As a last hurrah to the offseason, we ask you all out there to give us your hottest CFF takes for this season, and I have none other than the CFF hot take expert Chris K on in order to judge just how spicy you all were able to get. In addition, we'll be touching on a few of the big news items from this past week, as well as letting you all know what we'll be looking forward to in week zero of the season, which is just around the corner. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside, dropped down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning at 7 a.m. If you want to support the great work that we are doing, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our three, shoot, more than three amazing tiers now with the CFB Winning Edge stuff that we got going on over there. Go check all of that out over there. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Devi, and C2C needs, and quite frankly, even more than that, we got betting needs, DFFs needs. We're going to be covering everything for you guys this season. We got rankings, we got articles, we got tools, and even more than that. On YouTube, you'll also find our CFF Mock Draft live streams where we do a CFF draft every Sunday night live with a different guest up until the start of the season. If you're listening to this episode right now, we just finished our last one for the offseason. So go check that one out and the whole playlist over on the Chasing the Natty YouTube channel. You can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared and you can find the show at Chasing the Natty. On today with us, we have the wonderful, the ever-handsome, Mr. Chris K, here to help us really judge you all for how hot you're able to get with some of your CFF takes. But first and foremost, Chris, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. This Week zero's here. I mean, how could you complain? I, we were talking a little bit pre-show about how busy we both are. I mean, you're always busy, but how busy I was or am this week. And it's, you know, first world problem. You're doing, balls you're, here. you're doing like three shows this week. That's that's a that's a big load for anybody to deal with on yeah. on on, a, on any week, really. Even during the off season and stuff like that. In season is about to get even crazier. Like I'm having to like start. I'm having to start like that's part of the reason why I reached out to all of you guys um, on our CFF team over at campus again. I was asking all of them like, hey, like what's what what is the plan for everybody like during in season? Because I know everybody's got like different projects that they're working on. It's a ton of great stuff coming to you guys, the listeners. But like I couldn't keep up with all of it at some point. I'm supposed to be the one in charge over there for that team. So it's absolutely crazy. And we're going to, again, tons of tons of great stuff. And Chris, we'll give you the opportunity definitely to talk about some of that stuff as we go through here today. But like you said, Kay, like this is the last really off-season show we have. It, like, it, 
it's crazy because it feels like every time we get into the off seasons, like, oh, we got a million years until we got to really start worrying about in-season content and everything like that. But now here we are. So we're going to finish off today, the off season with a bang by reaching out to you guys and hearing your hot takes. But we have some business to take care of. Not the spiel, already did the spiel. But, you know, this is a college fantasy football podcast and we should bring you guys the most up-to-date news that we can provide you. So we'll go ahead and cover some of those here today and we'll go ahead and take a look at some quarterback competitions that are both now settled and pretty unsettled so i'll kind of run through the three here that we have up on the screen if you're watching this on youtube you can see it there um but again peyton thorne uh former quarterback out of michigan state is now named the starter at auburn i think that was kind of expected for a long time there's a bit of a hiccup there where people thought all of a sudden that um, you know Thorne was going to lose the job after a scrimmage, and uh, Hugh Freeze was sitting there saying like, "Oh, maybe I I go a different direction." Well, that didn't happen. Thorne is now your starter at Auburn. Donovan Smith named the starter at Houston. Again, I speculated with Mitch Hart a couple of months ago that the of the possibility that Smith may not be the starter but really as we got close and close to the season this is pretty clearly where this was going to go but then to kind of throw a monkey wrench in everything Grant Hughes over at 247 kind of throws out an article over there saying that Ohio State's QB battle starting to favor Devin Brown over Kyle McCord the longer it plays out now granted this is heavily from a insider source there like one quote from there it didn't sound like this was like a consensus opinion once i dug into the article a little bit but it definitely does kind of throw a little bit of worry out there that kyle mccord myself included a lot of us have been assuming that he will be the guy for ohio state this year even though like devin brown is a very talented quarterback but maybe that's changing in the final months here or final weeks leading up to the season here, K, I guess pick whichever storyline you want to start with here, man, and we'll we'll kind of roll with yeah. it. Yeah, I think Brown is the the only one that surprises me is Brown. Um, I always figured Thorne would win. Uh, Donovan Smith, to me, was like a no-brainer, and I'm, I'm happy that's solidified because I think he is the guy that could create the most CFF potential. Um, but yeah, Brown to me is super surprising. I don't know a ton about him, but you know, just from hearing different people, big recruit. And I know that people wanted him to win the job. And now it's more a matter of like, I I don't know. It just feels like McCord must not be very good. I don't know. He had every opportunity to win the job. Brown was hurt for a while yet. You know, I think the consensus is right. Like the longer it takes for Ryan day to name a starter, the more likely it is Devin Brown. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's gotta be the most surprising of the three to you, right? I mean, it definitely is the most surprising out of the three. Like I said, I was very kind of honed in on the fact that if Kyle McCord had any idea that he wouldn't be the starter by the time the season starts, he would have entered the transfer portal. In my opinion, like he already had to sit behind Stroud for two years there. I, I feel like the only way that Ryan Day kept him around that long was basically kind of promising like, hey, yeah, once once CJ's out of here, you're going to be the guy, we promise. Because apparently back then, McCord was pushing CJ Stroud, much like Devin Brown is apparently pushing Kyle McCord here. That's part of the other reason why, again, maybe this is personal bias because I've been so big on Kyle McCord and drafting him in a title of leagues this year. 
But like that's part of the reason why I'm not super buying into this. I don't think we're going to see Devin Brown overtake Kyle McCord. Do I expect to see them both out there against Indiana? Sure. I mean, it's Indiana. Ohio State's going to blow them out by 40 points. You throw Kyle McCord out there for the first half, throw Devin Brown out there for the second half. Like They could really do whatever they want against Indiana, but I still think Kyle McCord will be the guy at the end of the day. Otherwise, he has to feel like the most hoodwinked person on the planet. Yeah, yeah, he could be hoodwinked. I also think, too, that like, if you're if you're McCord, you couldn't really you're not gonna bounce if your coach says it's 50 50, you have to win it, right? And then it just I think what happened was in terms of the hoodwinking, it was so deep where it became a, a real possibility, maybe that he might lose the job, that like he kind of got stuck because like mm-hmm. Brown was hurt for a while. So he probably figured, hey, I just do my thing and I'm good. And then he got back, you know, Brown got back. I don't know. It, it's you never know what's going on in the background. Oh, Brian sure. Day certainly could have strung him along, and I wouldn't put it past any college coach. Not I'm a Michigan guy, so of course I'll be anti Ohio State. But like that could have happened. That could happen anywhere. Well, um, it's, it's another thing where like, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but like no, this could just be gamesmanship by Ryan Day. One for I mean, not necessarily for Indiana, but just like for Kyle McCord. Maybe Ryan Day saw a couple of practices in a row where he said, where he didn't like what Kyle McCord, where he saw out of Kyle McCord against some of these quotes from some of these insiders were saying that nobody's really taken hold of this job. What I've seen from that for coach speak is that typically that means they have an idea who they want to start, but they don't want that QB to get complacent or anything, especially in the weeks leading up to the season. So, you know, play the media game a little bit, put a little rumor out there that the job is not yet won and stuff like that. And bada bing, bada boom, maybe McCord looks better this next week and we're all freaking out over nothing. But yeah. um, I mean, it, it's yeah. it's an it's an exciting thing to see big programs have like these battles because it just sparks the off season. It's fun to you know go into the season. Is this guy going to be overtaken? Is For he sure. not? You know, it just builds on the storylines, makes college football a little bit more fun. One thing I wanted to touch on here, Kay. I know you do your own projections. You and a buddy of yours, you do. It's really really good projections from what I've heard in the past. If I remember correctly, you had mentioned that Donovan Smith was maybe QB1 in yeah, those projections. I, I, had to, I did some adjusting, but yeah, okay. he's like a top he's like a top three quarterback after wow. some adjusting. So like and it's just strictly because he can be so good rushing and it's off, you know, it's Houston. Um at Texas Tech, he was pretty awesome. Like in terms of CFF off awesome. He wasn't like some great NFL potential quarterback by any means, mm-hmm. but like this is the type of guy that is really, really what we want in a CFF quarterback. You know, heavy usage in all facets of the offense. He's a bigger guy. I mean, he's we talked about this the last time we were on, right? Like he's a mm-hmm. big guy. He's a big guy. Um, so he can handle a lot of rushing attempts. He can handle the goal line. All things line up to him being like an incredible CFF quarterback. It's just a matter of you know, does he kind of repeat and does he stay healthy? Like if he stays healthy to me, like I would be shocked if he's not a top 15 quarterback because I just, it, it's so hard not to be a top 15 quarterback. If you're going to run it 12 to 15 times a game and your team is going to score 35 points a game, which I think we all agree. Houston is going to be in the thirties. Oh, for sure. And with his rushing ability, he'll be in the teens and, and rush usage. So like, as long as he stays healthy, I don't see how he doesn't go top 15. 
Yeah, he's currently being drafted as a QB 26 in drafts, like right around the 9th, 10th round. Like I say all the time that that round, like 7 through 11, there's tons of value at QB there. Donovan Smith's not been a guy that I typically take shots on in that range because I just have some other guys that I like maybe a little bit better. But honestly, that's probably something I'm going to be kicking myself on uh, as we get closer to the season. Let's hit up a few more spring news notes. I kind of lumped a lot of these kind of smaller stories together into one where there's just a lot of injury uncertainty in terms of who is actually going to be able to start week one. The names that really come to mind here are tight end out of Utah, Brant Keithy, who it sounded like for the longest time, yeah, he's going to be good to go for week one. He's going to be good to go for week one. Suddenly the tune's changing a little bit as we get closer and closer to week one. Uh, DeCorey and Clark, kind of a very similar situation there. Yeah, he uh, tore his ACL, but he should be good to go by week one. Good to go by week one. That's what we were told all offseason. Now as we get closer, all of a sudden it's a bit more up in the air. Antoine Wells uh, injured there at South Carolina during a uh, scrimmage. They haven't been very forthcoming. It sounds positive that he will be back for week one. But again, as we know with college coaches and everything like that, you can never really believe anything that they say. So just want to put that out for there for you guys. Jalen Daniels, the quarterback out of Kansas, uh, dealing with some back tightness right now. Again, will that keep him out week one? Probably not, but it is something to be aware of. And then Justin Lockhart, the wide receiver out of San Jose State, who I love a ton, was recently seen with a cast on his arm, and then just this past weekend was not seen participating in the scrimmage for the Spartans. So definitely some bad signs there if you're looking to play Justin Lockhart week one. But, okay, talk about these injuries real quick. Anybody here that you think is like super impactful here, anything you kind of heard in addition to what I just said? I think Clark is a big one because they play Houston early on and they play Tennessee early on, don't they? So, like, I think that's a huge one. You can't lose Franklin to Ole Miss Mm -hmm. and have everybody coming back from a knee injury of sorts and compete against Tennessee and Houston and those types. But if they're healthy, like if they're back and they're feeling good, I think UTSA has a real shot at at competing against those two. And, and, you know, I don't think Houston's probably going to be that much of an I don't think they're going to be that much of an underdog against Houston. Maybe they'll be even favorites, but against Tennessee, I think that'll be a fun game and they need Clark for that. Um, Lockhart to me is super interesting. This is like a, you know, usually it doesn't, it's not week zero when you get like a do or die DFS situation, but here we are like Lockhart's price pretty low for week zero, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later on, but like if he is, if we have no idea what he's, what's happening, which it seems like we're going to get nothing confirmed. You know, it's do or die. You play Lockhart and he's healthy, like he's playing, then you're great. If he's not, then you're screwed and vice versa. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't play him, then you're in trouble too. So you just kind of have to make a stance. You don't usually get that in week zero, but those are the two big ones for me. You know, Keithy at Utah, they have Yasmin, you know, and that offense, that's going to be such an ugly game. Florida and Utah, you know, with, with rising out or likely out, I should say. Um, with Keithy potentially out, you know, you get some bad quarterback play, you get Yasmin who could be really good, but bad quarterback play. I don't know. Keithy is not as important because Yasmin can replace him, but Clark, you can't replace juice. You can't replace, um, Jalen Daniels has Jason Bean behind him. Although that doesn't seem like such a legitimate injury. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm I'm, I'm trying to look up what Florida's uh, rushing defense was looking like last year. Obviously, things changed from last year, but I've, I remember correctly they had a pretty poor rushing defense, so maybe Jaquinta Jackson all the way in that game right there. Um, last little bit of news here before we kind of get into some of these hot takes that you guys have been wonderfully giving us. Uh, unlike the other guys here where, you know, all of this mystery, all of this like, oh, are they going to play? Or are they not going to play? God bless Sonny Cum- uh, Crumby over there at Louisiana Tech who just straight out came out and said, yeah, by the way, our star running back Marquise Crosby will be out against Florida International. Now, granted, it's Florida International, so you're probably going to beat them pretty soundly anyway. So there's not really a lot of gamesmanship there to, to go on, but it's really good for us in CFF to know he, well, obviously it's week, it's a week zero game, so maybe not that great, but for DFS, you guys love it. Um, but it's also good for us to know in the future that like, again, he's out for this game. That kind of increases the likelihood he could be out from multiple games here. Cause like, if there's a, if, if there's no question, he's going to be out for week zero, there's still going to be a question of whether or not he plays in week one. So if you're somebody who's relying on Marquise Crosby, definitely, definitely need to keep that in mind whenever you draft him either this weekend or if he's already on your roster. Yeah, interesting. Good to note, maybe, you know, that Louisiana Tech might be a little bit more straightforward with their injury situations, too, in the future. Because um, we just, you know, some coaches we, I think we peg as, like, super straightforward. Some we know are super sketchy. So maybe <laughs> Louisiana Kelly. Tech, we, <laughs> yeah. The guy I was thinking of was uh, Gundy, uh, personally. But oh, yeah, good he's call. not straightforward at all. But, um, you know, what's even more interesting is Tyree Shelton is questionable. The guy that would be, like, that next guy up type. Yep. Um, so we might get pretty deep into the weeds of the running back or pretty early on for them. But I'm hoping good to that, know that we have some some straightforwardness early. Again, I know we'll, we'll kind of get into this a little bit later, but I'm really kind of hoping it gives us a better idea of the receiving situation over there at Louisiana Tech because there's going to be somebody that pops off in that receiver room that's probably going way too late in drafts right now. So we'll get a pretty good idea of that this weekend. All right, Kay, now it's the fun part of the show. Uh, we're going to go and look at some of these hot takes that you guys have provided to us on Twitter. We got a pretty good mixed bag here. Um, some of you are really high on players and really wanted to show your love for them. Some of you are not big fans of players at all. And you guys definitely made that known as well. So we're going to go through here. I think we have 17. So we'll go through these relatively quickly here. Try to get in here as many as I could. The only kind of rules I had for this are one... If somebody else had the same hot take as you or kind of in the same vein, I did not put it on here because by definition of two people having it, not really that much of a hot take if two people can come up with it. So sorry, all of you uh, Drake May doubters out there. There's like three of you that put down things for Drake May not finishing very high. If all three of you are thinking of that, it's probably not as hot of a take as we can have for this show. And then the other one I had out there was that you got to be somewhat specific. Um, you like you couldn't just give me like oh player X is gonna have a bad season like that, that's not a hot take that that that's very vague and everything like that I wanted something that I could look at and be like all right is this possible is there some this tangibleness is that the word I'm looking for here I don't know just something I could work with rather than like player X is gonna be good this season okay well what's good I don't know we'll see okay let's get on into this we're gonna have some fun here. We have our spice meter up here because again we can't just we can't just talk about the hot takes. We got to rate them on how spicy they actually are. So we got four levels here. We have the lowest level, which is the green mild. Where's the spice? 
level. The next level up is kind of your yellow medium, like, you know, it's, it's, it's got some heat to it. Uh, next level up, we got, um, or like the orange level, you're, uh, kind of, you know, that's, you're getting, you're getting pretty hot. Get me some water, please. Like this is, this is kind of burning my mouth a little bit. And then last but not least, we have the hottest level of them all, which is devil's anus. Uh, so we'll see if we can get some devil's anus takes here today. And we'll start off here with our friend, Mr. FF underscore goose on Twitter at that same handle. Apparently he's a very big Texas fan because his take for this year is Quinn Ewers is a top six quarterback in CFF. Xavier Worthy is a wide receiver one. Adonai Mitchell will be top 18 in wide receivers. And Jatavian Sanders will finish as the overall tight end one. A lot of these takes on their own aren't super hot, in my opinion. Like, again, like Xavier Worthy being a top, tw- being a top 12 wide receiver. Not super hot. JT Sanders finishing as the overall tight end one. I don't see it, but, you know, it's not too far off considering he's being drafted as a tight end three. It's when you start putting all of these together and saying, like, and this will happen, and this will happen. The probability starts going down quite a bit. And quite frankly, for this to happen, you basically need Quinn Ewers to throw, like, 800 times throughout the season because there's no way you're going to be able to feed all of all of these guys even if Ewers has like a Mac Jones style season where he's like crazy efficient just an absurd number of touchdowns it's still gonna be super hard for him to get to a top six quarterback without the volume to go along with it because even Mac Jones I went back and looked Mac Jones in um in 2020, during the regular season, only threw for 3,300 yards and 27 touchdowns. That would have made him QB 41. He didn't have a lot of rushing to go along with that. So all he had was his passing, kind of similar to what you would think Ewers would be doing in a Sarkeesian offense. And again, he only finished his QB 41, and we thought that was a great season for a Sarkeesian quarterback. So I'm going to say definitely not going to happen. Um, but, you know, in terms of rating spiciness, like, I, 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 Chris, I guess I'll ask you real quick. How do you rate spiciness? Because, like, it, it, to me, I'm trying to find the balance between, like, I I agree this is a far-fetched thing to happen, so that makes it spicy, but I also legitimately think it can't happen. So, like, um, how do you I, balance that? I think you have to go straight spice. I think this is, like, way up there. You know, he, he definitely went for it, with all the correlation, at least. Um... I think it could happen. I mean, I don't, I hate, I don't think Quinn yours is anything right. Like for me, I don't have any of them. I he's outside my top 40 for quarterbacks. Like, so this is a pretty bold take for sure. So I would, this is as close to devil's anus as I can imagine currently for our number one, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not impossible because it could happen, right? They could throw it 45 times a game. They could, mm-hmm. He could have 45 touchdowns. You know, there's no Bijan to steal, right? Like these other running backs looked good and there's certainly a lot of intrigue, but you know, maybe they do throw it 45 to, you know, 40 to 45 times a game. You know, they, he has shown some promise. Um, I just don't believe that will happen. Hence why he's outside my top 40. But like, if he's as good as some people think he is, like as long as they throw it 40 plus times a game, he could have 4,000 plus touch, you know, yards and 40 plus touchdowns. And he is kind of mobile, right? Like he's just kind of 
he's just not really been called upon. So, so he only gets yeah. sacked. So maybe he ekes into like three to four rushing touchdowns in like 40 rushing yards. It's definitely spicy. And I don't think it's going to happen, but I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. And again, I, I'm, I'm still trying to find that balance and everything like that. Cause like part of me, I, part of me wants to like reserve devil's anus for like the takes of like, I think it's far fetched, but I legitimately think you could be onto something here. So I guess that's what I'm going to do is like, if I think it's a hot take, but I think it's also impossible, I'm going to put it in the, get me some water. That's my, that's the tier I'm putting it in right now. Is that where you're at? Kay? Yeah, I think it's fair. We're on the first one. We don't want to kind of, I I don't want to say that out loud. I might get fired in this week zero show to say what I was thinking, but we're early. We we got 16 <laughs> more. This feels very spicy. Um, props. I, I appreciate the correlation because that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're an AD Mitchell guy a little bit. So I, know, I do like AD Mitchell like a little bit. I just don't know if I'll be top 18 AD Mitchell, but you know, I'm, da- I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that one. I honestly, if he had just put AD Mitchell as top 18, I would have put, I would have put that in the same range and maybe even devil's anus. Cause I could legitimately see AD Mitchell. I can see both AD Mitchell and worthy beating two top 20 receivers. Cause like, if those are the only two guys that are consistently out there. I think there is enough volume for like, kind of like Ohio state where I think there is, if it is just those two guys are getting all the targets. Yeah, there's plenty of room to, for both those guys to do well this year. I just don't think there's room for all three of those guys to finish as high as Goose is making it out to be here. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one here. This one goes the opposite direction. So Kyle Jackson, our friend on Twitter, at Big Worm Perm, says, Xavier Worthy will be nowhere near a top 10 CFF wide receiver. And this is coming from a Dynasty owner since day one he wanted to add in there. The spice level, actually, no, okay. I started the last one. I'll let you go first on this one. Where's your spice level on this one? I'm surprised he let this be because he, I don't know, he wasn't super specific. Like, what, what does nowhere near a top 10 mean? That is, is that I, like- I would, I would, at least he said top 10 CFF wide receiver. Cause like, I, I took that to mean like unrosterable. Like, you, okay. you like, you, you will, you will be so, so disappointed with him that you're like, you're not gonna have him on your roster. I mean, it's certainly possible. We look at all the different receivers that we saw early in the draft last year do nothing, right? Like mm-hmm. last year's drafts of early receivers was just awful. A lot of them were injury-based, though. So True. This, that almost if you're thinking that, that kind of feels like cheating. Um, I would put it, get got some heat because I just think that they have a lot of different weapons mm-hmm. and I don't love yours. So like, I think that, Ewers could maybe spread it around enough. He's still not great, maybe at connecting with Worthy Deep, which you've touched on in the past. And he ends up with like a 40 catch, 600 and mm-hmm. six touchdown season, which is not really all that impressive by any means. In which case, he transfers to like Alabama or Ohio State the next year and says, screw it. Um, yeah, no, I'm probably going to be roughly in the same range here. Again, par- partially penalizing for him not being as specific as he could have been. Because um, again, like, Worthy was a disappointment last year. I mean, he finishes wide receiver 47. Um, so, like, if you're if, if that's what Kyle has in his mind of, like, oh, like, he's not going to be somebody you start on a week-by-week basis, which is basically what a top 10 wide receiver would be in CFF, like, then, yeah, it's already happened. Like, it's not super far-fetched that, that, you know, him and yours maybe can't get the connection going again this year. 
uh, some other things happen. Maybe AD, AD Mitchell, Jonte Cook, Jordan Whittington, JT Sanders is too much for him to kind of funnel the targets too worthy like they had to do at times last year. I want to put this as got some heat because I expect him to be good. I think last year was kind of his floor because of just how bad the connection between him and yours was at times last year. I think he'll outperform that this year. But like, I, th- I think it's not, you know, the craziest take in the world. So let me go ahead and move our guys back here. Let's move on to our next one here. This one comes to us from Basketball12575 on Twitter. I'm not sure how I feel about a guy with basketball in his name giving me football takes, but here we are. Now, Basketball, you're good, man. I hope you're listening. This is, uh, this might be devil's anus right here, dude. but like i don't think it could happen this is like again where i'm trying to strike the balance because this is legitimately him just going out there with this and if he truly believes this good on him i appreciate you taking the shot because you can get this guy everywhere his take here i should get to that Jaden thomas wide receiver out of notre dame will be a top five wide receiver for cff and Audric Estime will not be the team's leading returner or leading rusher on the team this year. And I did ask him further. I was like, okay, that begs the question. Who do you think will be the leading rusher for Notre Dame? But he is a big fan of Jadarian Price this year, who's coming back off of a pretty nasty, uh, I can't remember if it's Achilles or ACL injury from his freshman year. Again, this is like about as close to just devil's anus, throw it out there. It's like... I just don't see the path to Notre Dame producing a top five wide receiver for CFF. Like they don't have the system. They don't really have the history or anything they have on their side. You got Sam Hartman there now. That's great. You got the upgrade at QB, but even at Wake Forest, like those receivers were awesome, but they weren't exactly top five consistent wide receivers. There's no kind of hype for Jaden Thomas. I've heard out of camp really like, yeah, he's going to start, but like, it feels more like a receiver by committee approach there, kind of like what they had last year. And I went and looked. I'm like, when was the last time Notre Dame produced a thousand yard wide receiver? And that was Chase Claypool in 2019 uh, in the regular season, uh, 59 catches, 891 yards, 12 touchdowns, so just a, a crazy number of touchdowns. That would have been good for wide receiver 18 last year. So I guess there is a path. Like the path is like Sam Hartman and Jane Thomas just have like the ultimate connection. Nobody sees this coming. Thomas is way better than any of us gave him credit for at all this season. There's no Michael Meyer there to suck up targets like there has been in the past. I think this might be my first Devil's Anus hot take right here. Okay, am I being am I being too too giving on that one? I think that's pretty fair. I the hard part about this is like. I need some legitimacy to the take, you know, like mm-hmm. I wish he was here to say why, because, you know, you could throw out just about anything. It's that's true. crazy and outlandish, but I, I'm going to assume that he has good intentions and thoughts behind why it'll happen. Not to be nitpicky. They get two bye weeks. So like what kind of scoring system are you in, like in terms of how are you ranking? Right. Like that would be a negative for a receiver for Notre Dame for your, how you rank guys at the end of the year indeed it would be um i think the estimate if i'm looking at just the estimate take i think that in itself is at least give me some water so i will also put the combination as a devil's anus um i i think that is a very spicy take for sure because mm-hmm. it's not but i think that it could happen i think like 
I don't think it will happen, but you know, I could see why somebody, right? Like Logan Diggs was very productive last yeah. year. What happens if they do the same thing, right? Like what if they kind of running back by committee it and if yeah. and price has seemingly had a good off season coming back from the injury, like you said. So like, it's certainly possible that that could happen as well. I agree with you that the combination of the two adds a little bit more legitimacy on this is actually what he thinks because like you, you have Goose's take earlier where it was just like, yeah, every Texas wide receiver and quarterback is going to be an incredible option in CFF this year. That's not hating on Goose. I love you, Goose. But, you know, you could find a little bit of homerism in that because every everybody on this team is going to do well. This one, it's like he believes in a guy that nobody else is talking about on Notre Dame and he's saying the guy you guys do believe in will not be as good as you think it is. So again, the fact that he has like a guy going up and a guy going down, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that like this is actually what he believes, and that's part of the reason why I'm okay with the Devil's Anus rating here. So let's move it back, and let's get on to the next take here, Kay. This one comes to us from our friend at CFFDFS. He says, Luke Lachey is the top fantasy scoring tight end in all of CFF this year. So Kay, where are you on the spiciness level here? Um, this has got some heat because, I mean, I don't think you can say an Iowa tight end is going to be number one and it be that outlandish, Mm -hmm. but there is Bowers, there is Gadsden. So there is a little bit of, that's definitely a take, um, but it's not the craziest because there are, you know, we've seen Iowa tight ends produce. I like that group just because the typical plus Cade McNamara, I think is very capable of of being mm-hmm. a quarterback, you know, Nate talked about it last week on uh, CTN uh, filling in. Um, so I think there's like a legitimate shot that that tight end group continues as long as McNamara is healthy. So got some heat. I don't think it's too crazy, but uh, I, you know, it, it has to beat out Bowers. It has to beat out Gadsden. If Dalvin Smith is still tight end eligible in your league, he's got to beat that out too. So mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit of spiciness to it. I agree. That's the perfect rating for this. Like, got some heat. I've been a big fan of Lachey pretty much the entire offseason. I, I drafted him as my tight end one in a ton of leagues because I do think he is just legitimately that much better than like Eric All, which is part of how, another thing that this uh, take kind of assumes. It's like not only is Lachey going to be good, he is going to significantly outperform the other tight ends in Iowa. Because like Sam Laporta finishes the tight end 15 last season, highest he got was tight end 12 through week 11. And that was because Lachey was kind of starting to eat into him as the season kind of went along there. Again, he still had productive weeks, but the fact that there was another tight end really kind of capped his ceiling at Iowa. Does Eric all do the same thing to Lachey here, or does Lachey kind of get past that? Now, here's the other thing that I think is a point in CFF DFS's favor here is that, again, we got to assume that Iowa is going to score more this year. Like, their offense has to get better, right? Like if it, like basically if um if Ferentz has to score twenty five points per game here, you would think that means more touchdown opportunity for guys like Lachey. Like because again last year one of the big things that held Laporta back was the fact that there's just really a lack of touchdowns to go around for the most part. So I think it's got some heat. I think it's a, it's a it's a shorter path or not it's it's not as winding of a path for him to get to tight end one as maybe some other guys maybe that you could have picked, but 
you know, I'm not going to say it's mild. Because there's legit things holding him back. So, let's move on to our next one here. And this one comes to us from our friend, Mr. Benjamin Jacob, who is with us almost every Sunday night for the live CFF drafts uh, and asks all kinds of questions, which you can too if you come to those drafts. So be sure to check those out in the future. His take here, Brady Cook will stay the starter through the season at Missouri. Okay, starting off kind of mild here. But then have a John Rice Plumlee-like season. Like when John Rice Plumlee first arrived at UCF, a whole lot of running, some throwing, let's say a top 25 QB finish, the poor man's JRP, let's go, Brady Cook season. I am going to put, get me some water on this one. I was originally going to put Devil's Anus on this because one, I love that we're talking about somebody that we have not really talked about throughout the entirety of the offseason. Definitely has flown under the radar. But once I looked into it, Brady Cook finished as a QB 46 last season. Had a really, really strong finish. And he's QB 30 amongst returning quarterbacks. If, if we believe that he's getting an upgrade in offensive coordinator this year with Kirby Moore coming over from Fresno State, he should be in for a better year. They really unlocked his legs towards the end of the season. Again, he finished with rushing stats of 53, 17, not great, but 106, 71 rushing yards, 138 rushing yards. Like he, They really let him run. If they continue to let him do that throughout the entirety of next season, because Last season, they kind of really shut him down towards the beginning of the season on that front. I do think there's plenty of path for him. If he can keep up that pace he finished with last year, 100% he could finish as a top 25 QB. And quite frankly, it's probably a really, really good deal that you can get in round 20 plus right now. So I think it is, again, get me some water. Because again, this is a guy that nobody's been talking about. And Benjamin, good on you for bringing this up because I legitimately think that this can happen. Kay, what are your thoughts on this one? I agree. And I, I like this call. Um, like you said, the more you look at it, the more you're like, okay, like this could legitimately uh, happen. I mean, their schedule, non-con has Kansas State, uh, but they also have you know Memphis, Middle Tennessee, and South Dakota. So like some easier options there. Yep. Um, you know, he's shown a rushing ability. Uh, the key here is like he can't throw for like whatever it was last year, like 14 passing touchdowns. Like mm-hmm. he has to that passing game has to evolve for sure uh, or else it's not going to work. Right. So the rushing is there. If we see better passing game, I'm not a burden guy, but people are, you know, maybe that improves and and there's some success there. I like it. It's definitely got give me some water level of heat. I don't think it's the craziest because I can see that path. Um, but yeah, I, I like this one and, you know, I'm like, I'm in the last round of my last best ball draft of the off season. And I'm like, man, I wish I had thought about this a little bit more with Brady cook, like a month or two ago. So I could have gotten a little bit of him, but it's a little too late, but oh, well, um, yep. I like it. It's, it's a good call out. That's a fun one for sure. Yeah. It, it's one of the ones where like, once I started doing the research for this show, I was just like, yeah, shoot, this this could legitimately happen. Like again, a really really good call by Ben here. Let's move on to another SEC quarterback and some hot takes coming from Steve here, who simply says that Carson Beck is a top twelve quarterback at UGA this year for CFF. 
So I'm going to put get me some water hot here. Wait, actually, no. Did I start the last one? Okay, you get to start this one. You did, yeah. What? Let me ask you, what's his rushing? What, what kind of rushing potential does he have? Not really, he, right? He, so, he, he can, but like it's not his game. Like, not gonna, like, it's not Stetson, yeah. No, so it's not Stetson. I will say this is devil's anus. I'm going to go out on a limb because I will say it's super spicy because we haven't seen him. Right. Like he's got what, like maybe 35, 40 career passing attempts, something like that. So, like, there is some legitimate spiciness here. What if he's just not good? That's certainly possible. While well, I don't think that's the case. Um, if he doesn't have any rushing upside or very limited rushing upside, that's a hard, that's a hard place to get to. Uh, like top 12. Uh, oh, I agree. Uh, saw Stetson Bennett was awesome. What, what was Stetson Bennett last year? Uh, he fi- in, in the regular season he finished as the QB thirty nine, but I did some I did some deal where like he if you take like his playoff games where he was just absolutely phenomenal and replace some of his worst games like where you know they just didn't really do anything with him shut him down really early he would have been a top ten QB last year if those performances had come during the regular season now obviously you know that's that's not the greatest of processes there because again like playoff games are totally different than regular season games you if you're blowing out a team you're not like you're playing against ohio state is very different than playing against um samford sounds a little bit like me talking about jj mccarthy jared pretty much pretty much uh that is it's a tough situation that it's exactly why like my jj mccarthy take is very hot but has needs a little bit of help yeah. is that the strength of schedule is weak. Um, Georgia's schedule is not the worst, but they're just so good that even an average, fairly respectable team is going to get beat by four touchdowns. Exactly. And that just creates an issue with the quarterback play in terms of like CFF points. So I will say devil's anus in terms of hot, He's going to have to do something in the rushing game. He's going to have to have a big passing year um, for him to get to that level. Yeah, this is Devil's Anus, and it's another one of these where like, I just legitimately don't see the path as well. Like you said, the rushing ability is gone. As much as I would love to see Georgia throw it 40-plus times a game, because, again, the receiver room we have this year is awesome, and you got Brock Bowers out there, like, shoot, why not sometimes? That ain't happening either. Again, Kirby... Kirby once you get several touchdowns ahead and everything, he's going to not shut it down. I think they're going to let him go a little bit further this year than they have in the past. Uh, Cause again, he wants to get away from that narrative of like, Oh, this is only Monken. Why our offense was so good, but just very similar to the Ewers. He'd have to be super efficient and really monopolize the touchdowns, which one of these things that might go for back here is that again, Georgia's running back room is extremely, extremely banged up right now. Like Edwards, who was like the healthiest option, like Dejon Edwards, the healthiest option, um, left the scrimmage early this past Saturday, limping off the field. Like Branson Robinson is injured. Kendall Milton is injured again. Andrew Paul is coming back, but like he's coming back from an ACL tear. Like they're all like super banged up over there. So like, Maybe that does kind of let Kirby let him monopolize the touchdowns a little bit more, and that could boost him up into top 12, but like you would need a lot of things to go right. So yeah, Devil's Zane is hot here. I say we move on. 
And let's go to Mr. Kyle here at KL underscore fantasy on Twitter. He says, LeJonte Wester, top 10 wide receiver this year. I like LeJonte Wester. I like him quite a bit. I've drafted him a ton of him this year. Been a great, like, guy for me to shoot in like the wide receiver three to four range depending on how i've built my team up until that point love where his value is right now he finished as the wide receiver 43 last year and that was with some abysmal coaching and some abysmal quarterback play he gets an upgrade at both in my opinion this year again you get an upgrade in coach you got tom herman coming in there into fau you also get an upgrade in qb play like yeah maybe casey thompson's not the best player on the planet but I think he's a pretty decent upgrade over to Kosey Perry, who Wester had play, had thrown to him last year. Wester plays in the slot, which has been significantly targeted by Herman in the past. Just look at guys like Devin Duvernay and little Jordan Humphrey from his time at Texas. And I went and looked at both of those guys' regular season stats during those years that both those guys went off and compared them to last year's finishes for wide receiver. Devin Duvernay would have finished as the wide receiver five in the year that he was the leading receiver for Texas. And Lil Jordan Humphrey would have been the wide receiver seven last year had he had the stats that he had the year that he went off. So I'm going to put this one down as it's somewhere between get some heat, got some heat versus get me some water from me. It's like, because again, I, it's, it's part of my own biases coming in here. I think if it's, I think if it is, if I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible, it's get me some water. My own bias is coming in here being like, oh, but I already really liked LeJonte Wester, so him finishing in the top 10 is not that crazy to me. But I think people who aren't as high on Wester would find this a little bit hotter of a take. What do you think, Kay? See, this for me is between get some, uh, give me some water and the devil's spiciness because he's not being drafted anywhere near like what top 30 top 40 like uh, he is being drafted as a wide receiver 37 so like that's that's a 30 essentially a 30 spot improvement you know you're i'm looking at the ticker earlier right like it's basically saying he's gonna have as good a season as wigless as uh squirrel as some of these different guys that are very highly coveted so this is a big one and i but i do like it i think you know he has shown to be super successful um mm-hmm. You know, he's had some big games. He's going to have the best quarterback play that he's probably ever had in college or period, I should say. So, I mean, if you're like really like I'm looking at right now, like if you're as close to cowing and as McMillan squirrel, like that is a really, really good season. So I will go devils anus on this to be a little bit different than you. It is spicy, but I, I think it's certainly possible. I got to commend the, the, the uh the tweet here the thought i definitely appreciate it because i have wester everywhere and so i would definitely not mind i think the other part of it is like i'm kind of baking into the fact that like again this is cff we do a ton of research every single off season but like when nfl guys get like the adp or their their rankings wrong on a wide receiver for the nfl they're usually off by like what like maybe 10 spots uh, in terms of where some guys finish and everything like that College fantasy, you could be pretty much right on a guy, but because there's just so many options, they could finish 20 spots below or 20 spots ahead of where you would have ranked them preseason. 
Like you, they could have a really good year, but they're still just not, they didn't have quite as good of a year and it drops them 20 spots. So I kind of baked that in a little bit here. So like a guy who's getting drafted in the wide receiver 40 range, finishing top 10, not as quite as spicy as saying like somebody who's basically going round 20 plus is going to finish like the Jaden Thomas one, like going back to, to that one, like that one's like, woof, nobody's drafting Jaden Thomas right now. And you expect him to be a top five wide receiver. That's pretty out there. I'm just going to give a little bit of credit to him because I'm I'm imagining he's thinking the same way we are in, in terms mm-hmm. of how it could happen. And I don't think anybody, if you asked 100 people, I don't think anybody would say top 20 for receivers. So I'm going to give him some some additional credibility and some, some love there for that. That's why I went a little bit different than you. All right, fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next one here. This comes to us from our good buddy Shane P. Hallam. Which, by the way, Shane, if you're listening, I don't know, if, I don't know if you are because you are quite a busy man right now. Congratulations on the birth of your kid. Very proud of you, man. But during all of that, he was able to give us a little bit of a spicy take here with Ashton Hawkins, wide receiver out of Texas State, and Malik Hornsby, quarterback out of Texas State are both top 10 at their position, excuse me, this year. I, I'm i going to go, the both is almost selling beyond the devil's anus here. But I'm going to go get me some water here. I'm not going to go quite devil's anus. Because again, we've all agreed pretty much the entire offseason that if Malik Hornsby is the starter at Texas State, there's a very good shot that he is a top 10 QB for CFF. So I don't think that's the crazy thing. I think adding in Hawkins really does kind of bring up the heat here for this because there's a lot kind of working against Hawkins here. Again, yes, he is the most experienced wide receiver, probably the most talented wide receiver they have on their roster. But if you look at what GJ Kenny did last year at Incarnate Word, he mostly targeted his outside guys. And Hawkins is very much a slot guy. Now, it could be a deal where he targets just the best wide receivers. Maybe I'm reading a bit too in, too much into that. In which case, Hawkins could have a really, really good year. The Also, the problem is that Malik Hornsby is not a very good passer. So how many wide receivers finish in the top 10 when they don't really have that great of a passer? I can think of maybe Torrey Horton. Maybe. That's pretty much all I can think of from last year and everything. And then the other part of it was, like, Taylor Grimes would have been like Taylor Grimes. He was a, he was a top receiver at incarnate word last year. If you shorten his season down to 12 games, absolutely would have been a top 10 wide receiver last year. So the system's there. However, part of that was because he scored 15 touchdowns. So like, do we expect them to hit nearly 50 points a game and have that much touchdown opportunity? I don't really know about that. So I'm going to keep this and get me some water because there's definitely the systems there. There's a lot kind of pointing towards that. This could happen. It doesn't feel super impossible like Devil's Anus, but it is still very much a borderline impossibility. So what do you think, Kay? I think we can leave our stuff where as, you know, as is, because I think this is incredibly spicy. Uh, you kind of alluded to it. Hornsby's not a passer, so he's basically saying that not only will Hornsby be great on the ground, he will be good enough to give a top 10, you know, a receiver a top 10 type of performance, that type of production. So... There are these guys are both talented and they mm-hmm. have the system, but we there's things going against them, right? Like you mentioned it with like Hawkins being a slot guy, yep. Hornsby not being a bad, like that great of a passer. The fact that Hornsby hasn't technically won the job, nor I, I, you know, I think people 
I think you could argue that Finley's in the lead. So that adds some layers to it and some potential variables into into play here. Um, so, but I I will say it's spicy in itself because this means that Hornsby is a much better passer. Mm-hmm. Like last year, there was no way Hornsby as a passer could produce a top thirty receiver, let alone a top ten. So I will. I will say this is incredibly spicy. You will keep it in the devil's anus. That is totally yep. fine. Yep. All right. I'm going to move our things back because I forgot to last time. Let's move on to our next one here. Kay, you'll start us off on this one because not only is it your turn, but it's one of the guys that you kind of liked throughout the offseason here. This one comes to us from Ty Myers at TyMy1500 on Twitter. He says, Aiden Robbins leads the Big 12 in rushing this year. So, Kay, where are you at on this one? Uh, I think this is like, uh, this has got some heat, I think, because he's a good running back. He's huge. Um, BYU likes to run the football. Like, it's not like uh, Jaron Hall's there is going to potentially steal some some big plays and things like that. You know, Keenan, is it Keenan Slovis? Keenan Slovis at quarterback mm-hmm. is going to create a pretty normal, bland offense, and Robbins will be called upon. Um, the only thing that might, kick up the heat here is you know what are they going to do at running back like i think technically speaking people are confused or nervous about his status i know Mm -hmm. i am a little bit they came out with like a a freshman being an awesome like like lj something um the other day which was super interesting to read about so there are some question marks the end of the day i can't imagine robbins transfers in and doesn't get a good shot at being the guy especially because at UNLV he was very productive so uh that's the first piece to it I think you're gonna talk about a little bit more but like what is his actual competition off the top of my head it doesn't seem super difficult to break a thousand yards um and be better than the rest you know it's not like he's got to compete against like Blake Corum and Braylon Allen and some of these big 10 guys like if you said that uh, you know if he was in the big 10 and you said that then I would say that's much much hotter but uh i i could see a a path to this happening i really like robbins and the competition really isn't all that difficult compared to others so i think this is uh got some heat i like it i don't think it's crazy as potentially uh you know ty had thought it might be yeah i think it's um the thing i'm gonna put it at get me some water and specifically because he said it leads the big 12 in rushing one thing I kind of discounted with Robbins throughout this entire offseason really is that he's a better receiving back than like I've given him credit for. Like he's a big dude. Like he's like over six foot two, like over 200 pounds. Like I've been kind of like I've had that image in my head of like, oh yeah, he's like a bruiser. Like he's not going to be the guy you pass. He caught a ton of balls last year. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was like well more than 25 balls last year. Like he was like, it was not just a, oh, a couple dump off passes here and there throughout the season. No, it's like he was, he, it was part of UNLV's game last year that Robbins would get targeted out of the backfield. So that's where I'm kind of worried about it. Cause I think BYU is going to have to pass a ton this year. I, their defense, when you look at um, the talent level or the talent um, index that, um, we have over at the C2C winning edge there with Nicholas Ian Allen. When you look at BYU's defense compared to the rest of the Big 12, it is a significant drop-off compared to anything that they are going to have to face. 
So those teams are going to be able to score on BYU. It's going to force the Cougars to pass a ton. And the game script's going to be taken away from Robbins in terms of leading in rushing. Now, if you were to say combine rushing and receiving, I would be more where Kay is with the got some heat. Now, the point that I will put in favor of this actually happening is also, and the reason why I didn't go devil's anus here, is because, like Kay kind of touched on, the competition in the Big 12 for a top running back is not super strong. The number one running back that comes off the board in drafts right now is CJ Donaldson as RB21. Next up is Kevin, or Kevin, Devin Neal at RB28, followed by Treshawn Ward, running back 32, Richard Reese out of 34, and RJ Harvey, running back 38. Those are all the guys that go ahead of Robbins in drafts right now. And pretty much every one of those, with maybe the exception of Donaldson, has runs the risk of being put in a committee or a timeshare. So they're not going to have the they're not going to quite have the volume you want in order to expect them to be the big 12 RB one. Donaldson is probably the only one I'd be a little bit worried about, but like, as I kind of mentioned last year with like Donaldson, when you put him with the rest of the RBs, he was hovering around like RB 59 by the time that he got injured. So like if Robbins is the leading big 12 rusher, he can probably outproduce that. And I don't think that's completely out of the ordinary if he were to be able to do that. My biggest question is the, my biggest question is the, um, is the game script for BYU this year. I think, I, I don't think they're going to be able to run a ton unless they just give up on games. So that's where I'm at. I'll go ahead and move my, our little tokens back there. And we go from somebody leading the big 12 in rushing to somebody leading the big 12 in receiving because mr Kaysen futures at picks from future on twitter says jaron bradley wide receiver out of texas tech he says contends that's a little bit too vague for me a little bit there Kaysen, but i'm gonna yeah, say yeah. i'm gonna pretend you said will be the cff big 12 wide receiver one yeah, you were gracious with this one i, I, I was slide, a little gracious we'll, with this we'll one looking, it. yeah because it's a fun name so we'll roll with it so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it. But again, like I'm gonna do the same thing I did just now with Ada Robbins. I'm like, all right, who's his competition? Like who's his competition to finish as the Big 12 wide receiver one? Ahead of him in drafts right now are three names: Xavier Worthy, Matthew Golden, and Jaleel Farouk. We talked a little bit earlier already about what is what could happen to knock Worthy out of being wide receiver one for the Big 12. Pretty much what happened last year. If, he, if that happens again, he's not going to be the number one wide receiver in the Big 12 again this year. Matthew Golden, we all love him. We love what Tank Dell did last year at Houston, finishing as a wide receiver one on the entire season. But they got a lot of good receiving options over there. What if that becomes a... What if that becomes kind of a timeshare there? They split, They spread it around a whole lot more than we've seen in the past. Could happen. And then Jaleel Farouk at Oklahoma. Again, we assume he's going to be the wide receiver one. We're, we're being told he's the wide receiver one, but how much, how valuable is the wide receiver one for Jeb Levy? Sometimes really good, sometimes really not. So there's definitely a path here. And I think it's here, but here's the thing that hangs up about me is that again, Jaron Bradley is a great receiver. He plays at Texas Tech. They're going to have tons and tons of volume. He still doesn't play in that slot for Texas Tech. And that's where like the money is. So I don't even know if Tech if 
he'll be wide receiver one on his own team. I think the only reason why he's a wide receiver one in drafts right now for Texas Tech is because we know he's locked down one of those outside spots. We know for a fact that there's not going to be like a rotation there. But in terms of spiciness, again, I, I, because he's only the fourth wide receiver for the Big 12 off the board, I'm going to put this one as just got some heat. I don't think he has a ton of competition ahead of him to become that wide receiver one for the Big 12. Because again, like Worthy, Golden, Farouk, there's pass for all of those guys to end up being busts. And he's on a system that produces tons of great wide receivers, typically, last year notwithstanding. So, Kay, your thoughts on Jaron Bradley here? I like this as a get me some water because a couple things you mentioned, right? Like, he doesn't technically play like the typical productive receiver on the offense. Um, They have a lot of different guys. Uh, You know, there are some interesting options. Like, I love Golden. You know, I think worthy makes it where you have to have a decent enough season to be the receiver one. He kind of pushes the, the, the floor at least to that level. Um, so it is a little spicy in that like, he's not, you know, it's funny. Like miles price was the guy last year and mm-hmm. all these different drafts and he didn't do anything. Essentially he had some injuries. He showed a little bit and then he didn't do anything. Like you look at Bradley's season last year, uh, 11 games, including the game against Ole Miss. And he had a really productive season, generally mm-hmm. speaking. So he just needs to kind of up kick it a little bit in some of these different games. And he gives himself a shot. There's not a ton of guys, you know, to beat out, but there's enough. Mm-hmm. So I think this is get me some water because I just think that he's not in that right, technically speaking, position for uh, the offense. Um yep. And there's just so many options, right? Like, yeah. you know, you like you kind of mentioned it, right? Like, Bradley is being drafted because we know he's going to be on the field. Like, he's kind of solidified a starting spot and is going to be fairly reliable for Shuck uh, and Morton. Yep. Um, but, like, some of these other guys, right? Like, it, it gets really murky really quick at these yep. slot positions. Cause we, it's kind of like Hawaii, right? Like, we don't really know who's the starter. We want to know who the starter is. But, but once we do know who it is... They're going to be more valuable. Right. So that's where that comes into play, that ADP discussion. But I do think it is really pretty spicy to choose an outside receiver and to say lead the Big 12. So I'll I'll give um, some credit there to Kaysen. All righty. Fair enough. Let's move back our tokens real quick. And it'll be your turn to... It'll be your turn to talk first, Kay. But I'm going to go ahead and move my token to Devil's Anus on the sex one. Because uh, this one comes to us from It's Just Nick C on Twitter. And he says, Penn State makes the playoffs. Okay, that like hot take, pretty good one. But like for CFF purposes, though, he says, Drew Aller will be a top 10 QB. And I did specifically ask to make sure that he was talking about college fantasy. And he said, Yes, I'm talking about college fantasy. He'll be a top 10 QB. I'm putting this directly into the devil's anus here. So what about UK? Where are you putting this one? This is this is tough. I it's at least give me some water. Um, I'm just trying to think through it because I haven't. I tried not to look. I looked a little bit at like the show sheet to see, and then realized I didn't have to add anything, so I stopped. Um, I don't know. Like the thing is, there's two things I'm thinking about here that are going to directly impact his his end of season numbers. Um, how much do they actually 
tell him to run. I think he can run. I think he'd be a good runner. He's got the size for it. Uh, so there's that aspect to it. How much they ask him to run the football. And also too, right? Like <laughs> they have Singleton and Katron Allen. Like, do they, yeah. do they really, are they going to really share that, that pie with him a little bit, you know? So like the first year QB, it. Um, but you know, anytime your quarterback can run, like I think Drew Aller can run um, and produce enough in the passing game, I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely by any means. So I'm going to say get me some water because I can see a path to it. I do like Aller. I've had I drafted him a bunch in like best balls. Uh, I think his ADP this offseason was really, really enticing for um, for you know what he could provide, but you know, and, and then the, obviously the Penn State makes the playoffs isn't like crazy to me. I think they play no. Michigan at home and Ohio State on the road. If they win both of those, they pretty much are set up. To I think win, you know to win the Big Ten. I think if they just win one of those games, they're they in could the, easily it, do it. Right? They, they, they 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 can go to the Alabama or Ohio State route where they get, they have one loss. They sure don't too. play in their big. They don't play in the Big Ten championship. But there's enough two loss teams that they're like, ah, eh, screw it, we'll throw in one more one loss team in here with Penn State. Because again, they'll have swapped in as Ohio State. Like, didn't Ohio State beat them last year? That's why Ohio State was there. But like, if theoretically, if Penn State beat Ohio State, then they would have been kind of in that same boat. Pretty much, Correct. yeah. I think there's even a route there as well. So the, I don't take that piece of the tweet into it. I, the Aller no. enough is very interesting of a conversation. Oh, it is 100%. I, again, not not that I ignore regular CFB discussion. I love it to death. But at the same time, we are a college fantasy show. So I focus in on that. Aller is top 10 QB. Pretty much everything I said about Ewers and Carson Beck pretty much applies here. Like, yes, Aller is probably the most mobile out of the bunch. But given given the fact that you have Nicholas Singleton, given the fact that you have Katron Allen back there, why would you ask your quarterback really to run? I just don't really see the path to him like he yes he can run but he's not he's still not sean clifford like sean clifford didn't or ran a ton but like i mean shoot sean clifford ran a ton and he still wasn't like a top 20 qb like again it's just not a system that really gears up for their the quarterback to be a top tier guy now will our have some big games here and there sure will he probably be a guy that's 20 to 23 fantasy points per game more yes very likely and there is value in that but top 10 qb that's not a path to a top qb 10 qb in my opinion all right i'm gonna pick up the pace here just a little bit because i just realized how many takes we still have to get through and we're already over an hour so let's move on here that is not the button that i meant to press we're gonna try that again okay fixing graphics starting at the beginning guys starting at the beginning i hit the wrong button first hour here we go so let's move it on back here. Let's go. All right. There we go. Let's. This one comes to us from the redshirt sophomore at the redshirt soft on Twitter. He says, low-key big one. We'll see. Uh, Henry Parrish, the running back out of Miami, sneaks his way into the top 25 running back conversation. I'm putting this one on devil's anus. I really, just given the history with Mario Cristobal as well as Shane Dawson, both of them have kind of gone for committee approaches in the past. They tried the um, the big time parish, um, t- not timeshare, workload last year early on, 
faded big time down the stretch. Again, he started off as like in the top 12 running backs last year, and then he quickly, quickly faded. He finished as the RB 115 last year, got banged up, but still played enough. There's a lot of competition there at Miami. Again, you have guys like Don Chaney still hanging around. They bring in A.J. Allen from, um, is it Nebraska? Yeah, they bring in A.J. Allen from Nebraska. Javante Citizen, while, again, clearly there's still some stuff going on with him, he's going to be involved the moment that he is healthy. They bring in Mark Fletcher, who a lot of people are high on as a true freshman here. I don't see the path to a top 25 performance from Parrish unless... They completely reverse everything that they ended up doing last year and said, "Yeah, let's give this let's give this one more shot." Where Parrish is our main guy, even though we have a ton of other, you know, not great but good options here to kind of take the workload off of him. So I say this is Devil's Anus. No way he gets the top twenty-five running backs. Very hot take. Okay, your thoughts, man? I would agree. They gave him a legitimate shot at like you know. At, at being a guy and he just was super unimpressive for a lot of it i will say he does give you some receiving ability so like that is a positive that gives you a potential but he just was not that offense isn't going to be that great there's a lot of running backs in that room he's had a chance at being the guy and he just wasn't all that impressive honestly nope. so i will say if this happens i would be very very surprised and why i agree with you all right let's move it on back and let's move on to our next take here i'm going to be quick about this one i'm keeping my token right where it is i hate to do this to you george but i totally agree with this take and i've i've, I've been drafting this man as if that is the case george says bold prediction there isn't a significant drop off in the dave clausen offense at wake forest with mitch Griffiths running the show this is about, again, maybe this is my personal bias showing here, but like this is about as mild of a take as I can get right now. Again, it's a, it, it, I would have maybe put got some heat if you said no drop-off, but just saying there isn't a significant drop-off, I think this is pretty mild. It's like pretty much exactly what I expect, what I've been pushing pretty much this entire offseason. So not that it's a bad take, George, because I fully agree with you. It's just it doesn't really push the boundaries of what I consider to be a take that I can disagree with. So Kay, what do you think here, man? Yeah. Didn't he have like four touchdown passes against VMI when yeah. Hartman was out? Granted it's um, VMI, but yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm, he just shows that he's capable. Like he's, he's got a pulse. He's, you know, last year, at least this is like throwing ketchup on wings and calling it spicy, you know, like <laughs> calling it hot wings, you know, like, this is where's the spice and no disrespect, George. I think it just gives us, I think we agree with you. I think we like Griffiths. Yeah. Um, and ultimately if anything is we've seen in college football in CFF, a lot of systems can make bad players produce good numbers. Mm-hmm. So even if Griffiths wasn't good, Clawson is a smart enough, good enough coach combined with good receivers that could make Griffiths be very quality to very good, uh, even if he's just an average quarterback in college. So this is definitely where's the spice to me. I agree with you. I agree. I'm I'm definitely asking for more spice here. Let's move on to our next one here. This one comes to us from Cooper at underscore Butterpants, which is a great Twitter tag, by the way, Cooper. He says, Phil Maffa will be a better fantasy asset by the end of the year than Shipley. 
This is one take I've seen from a couple of people throughout the offseason that I am still not entirely sure where it's coming from. Again, I agree that Phil Moffa isn't quite living up to the five-star potential that we saw him coming out of high school with. He always was kind of like, never, like, again, he was called an all-purpose back coming out of high school, more of an athlete than an actual just true running back. So there's always the possibility that, again, he's not going to translate as well. But, like, Will Shipley last year outcarried Phil Moffa by over 100 carries. And it's not like he was, like, losing out on carries as the season was kind of going along there. He outproduced Phil Moffa on a down-by-down basis. Again, he averaged 5.6 yards per carry. Phil Moffa was 5.3. He was clearly the guy that Clemson went to along the goal line. I mean, Shipley had 15 touchdowns. Moffa had four and their receipt, like I don't have the receiving stats in front of me, but I did remember looking at them, and there was not a significant difference in their receiving ability either, in terms of like how many yards per reception that they were getting there either. I just don't know where this is coming from. So again, so for some other people, this is probably a very mild take. They're like, oh yeah, like yeah, I agree, Moffat's going to overtake. I'm like, get me some water here, because again, enough people that I know who and I respect do believe that Mafa can overtake Shipley this year. So that's why I'm, it's enough to not for me to put it in the devil's anus because like clearly very smart people think this is going to happen. I just don't see it. So that's why I think it's a very hot take. But Kay, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Give me some water. I don't agree with this at all. It, this is one of those things where I think this to me, the situation is Will Shipley's been around forever. He's mm-hmm. played forever. He's been always very solid but he's never had like what's his big highlight like what's his huge game like what is his breakout insane moment mm-hmm. like he just hasn't had it he's just always been steady in a really good college fan you know college football player college fantasy football player so i think he gets like knocked because he hasn't had any of those and like we're always looking for that big new shiny toy mm-hmm. or that like big shiny take which is phil maffa um, which like his recruiting background is promising. He's he's been quality at Clemson, so that's like the thing people latch onto. I don't know. You know, years ago people loved Shipley and thought he was gonna be amazing. This great Debbie asset and C2C asset. And now it's just like, okay, what has Will Shipley done? Like, other than be very quality and very good for a really good Clemson yeah. team for two years straight. Like, how how are we being negative to that? But all that to say. This is pretty spicy. It would be uh, devil's anus if I actually had not heard others agree with that same type of of um, sentiment. So that's why he's listed here. Yeah, because I'm looking. I'm looking at like Shipley's numbers last year. He's so steady, Eddie. 18, 18, 28, 19, 11, 10, 19, 32, 16, 16, 15, 21. Like again. There's very few games in there that are like, holy crap, you just won me the week. I agree with you. I think that's part of the reason why people are like, okay, I'm kind of tired of Will Shipley. But like, he finishes the RB19 last year because of that steady eddiness. So again, I, I disagree with this take. Part of the reason why I have it so hot. Next up here. I love this next one because this is like almost as bold as it gets in my opinion. But I actually see somewhat of a path, but I'm still going to put Devil's Anus on it. This one comes to us from Ben Wagner uh, at BWAG83 on Twitter. 
he says Jacob Cowling isn't a top two receiver on his own team. This is Jacob Cowling we're talking about. Wide receiver seven in CFF drafts. And Ben says this man won't even be wide receiver on his own wide receiver two or better on his own team. Okay, I believe you are the one who gets to start this one. What do you think yes. about this one? So is that Lamonius Craig? Yeah, I think he's saying like Lamonius Craig or Kevin Green or somebody. Yeah, yeah this is spicy. This is Devil's Anus. Um I mean, the top two, even a third, I wrote about this. One of my rare off-season articles was about jumbo receiver theory in in a sense of drafting and best balls and who were those productive third receivers that would be big values if something happened to a top two guy. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, Lamonius Craig was certainly in that mold of of that theory. So uh, He's talented. We saw the spring game. That's probably what spurred this for Ben. Um, But like, I know people are big tech guys, which makes a ton of sense. He was incredible as a freshman. So I don't know. I could see this maybe happening, but like this doesn't feel like all that possible. Hence the the extreme levels of heat I'm giving it. So I'm going to throw you why I think this actually might be possible. And I kind of hate it. So I I hate it because I drafted a ton of counting earlier on in the season. And I wish I paid attention a little bit more to what was going on in Arizona down the stretch last season. We talked about this. If you, if you want to listen to an even better breakdown, go listen to the wide receiver crash course. Uh, those of you listening, because uh, Eric Froton broke this down really, really well there. Cowling's second half last year was kind of awful. How many games of 15 plus points in fantasy in half PPR do you think Cowling had in the last six games of the season? I couldn't even tell you. I have no idea. One. That's a good question. He had one. He had 15 points or less in five out of six games last year. He was fading big time down the stretch, especially with Dorian Singer and Ted McMillan kind of coming into their own down the stretch. I do not think it is a hot take to say that Tetariah McMillan will finish over Cowling. To say, though, that MLC, the new guy there, playing on the other side of the outside, will then be able to pretty much out like take pick up where Dorian Singer um, left off, I have to say that's, that is kind of the bold aspect of this i still think cowling will be at least a top two receiver i don't see mlc overtaking cowling this year especially cowling being in his money year this year basically i'm gonna leave this in devil's anus but like i hate to say it this is this is more believable than it than it seems on its face so let's keep it moving here we have one wide receiver that is not going to finish as the top option on his team. Let's go talk about another guy that Heath here believes will not be the best running back on his team. Heath Boyd at Heath Boyd on Twitter says, Shoddy Clayton Johnson, running back out of Tulane, for those of you who don't know, will be Tulane's third best running back here. The knock on Clayton really has been that like t- Tulane's likely going to move back to a committee. Like t- What Tajay Spear last- did last year was not normal for what that coaching staff typically does. And as we see him in the NFL preseason, they had something special in Ty J Spears there at Tulane. So clearly they had a guy that could break away there. Shadi is somebody that's going later in drafts because again, maybe he breaks out, but it's likely going to be committee. Now to say that he'll end up being the third option in that committee, that's going to keep this in devil's anus for me. I think 
there is a possibility that a guy like Arnold Barnes, who the staff has been raving about this offseason, the true freshman there, maybe he overtakes uh, Clayton by the end of the year and can surpass him at some point. And maybe Clayton fades down the stretch. But to say he's third, that also means you're prob- you're investing in Iverson uh, Clement, who I'm not usually a huge fan of there. If I was, he would be the one that I would be drafting out of the backfield. So I think it is devil's anus to say he'll be the third, but not the second. Kay, your thoughts, man. Mm. So I have a few different things to think about here. The first one is um, the situation that Tulane to me is that, uh, you know, Tajay Spears was the guy and Mm -hmm. their coach was smart enough to recognize it. I don't think Tulane is going to give one running back. They won't a, probably like, all the carries. I think this is going to be a committee. Uh, so I think this has just got some heat. You know, I think this will be a committee where we see Clayton. Uh, I think it's Celestine, not Clement, but I could oh, be completely I, wrong. I, I might be thinking of somebody else. Yeah, Celestine. Yeah, good. thank you. Appreciate that. completely wrong. Uh, but they also have Shedra Lewis, right, from Liberty. And True, I completely forgot about him. does have enough. I believe passing game type to get him in that same realm of like being like a product, you know, in a sense of a productive running back. Um, So I, I think that it's not a huge comment to say, Hey, like it's uh, you know, he's going to finish third. I also don't think it's going to matter. Like he could be first and I don't think he's relevant to CFF to be completely honest. No, I think that's fair. I think I think you have sold me on the fact that like I'm bringing it down to get me some water because I still believe in Shoddy Clayton. I think he'll still be probably the best running back they have there this year. But you're right that once this goes full committee, anything can happen out of the out of those guys. All it takes is one guy to get a, like one or two guys that are not Shoddy Clayton to get a hot hand, and he could be done for the rest of the year. Who knows? But yeah, I brought it back down to get me some water. Not quite Devil's Anus. We'll see. Let's keep this moving. I believe we got one more here. I'd say one more. This is we're gonna we're gonna do rapid fire on this one because this comes to us from our good friend Mr. Nate Marquise. He put down three takes for tight ends, and so we're gonna run through these and see if we agree with him on this one, Nate or uh, Chris. So he says his mild take is that Amari Nyblack, the former, I believe. Five-star, high four-star tight end out of Alabama outproduces C.J. Dupree. I'm not a big fan of C.J. Dupree this year. I don't know if any of those tight ends are going to be great this year, but I'll put some, got some heat on that one. Because uh, again, everybody's drafting C.J. Dupree. I don't see Amari Nyblack really going anywhere. What do you think, Kay? I would agree. Um, because also, too, it's like he outproduces one guy. He doesn't like True. outproduce every tight end period. So I think there's a difference there in the rating um but it's interesting we haven't really talked much about dupree we also haven't obviously talked about nine black so apparently nine blacks had a really good uh fall camp true um someone that's kind of pop a little bit i think if simpson wins the quarterback job there then that really helps it probably helps tight end usage and productivity so true that'll be interesting thing to keep an eye on all right, so are you at got some heat or where's the spice? Got some heat. Um, yeah, I'm at got some heat. I don't right. think it's I don't think it's completely out of this world. Dupree is cool, but nothing too crazy. Gotcha. All right, next take that Nate had here. This is his habanero. So this is where I think he's trying to land in the get me some water. He says Jake Burning School is a top two receiver at Clemson this year. So 
if that's the case, you're looking at him finishing probably behind Antonio Williams. That's the guy that we all kind of agree is probably the most likely to finish first on that team. And then that means he beats out Bo Collins and Adam Randall. And if I look up Clemson's receiving numbers last year, let me see if I can get that real quick. I was just thinking the same thing. I'm like, I was just, right, I'm what, like, what I'm like how close? How close was he doing this last year? Now, granted, he was, you know, he's looked really, really good this offseason. But yeah, he was the okay. So Davis Allen was the third receiving option for them last year as their tight end one, and he finished two catches behind Joseph Engada. But he also had three more touchdowns, a little bit less. I mean, I, I like don't... I th- I think I think I'm going to keep this one and got some heat again because like because yeah. like Bo Collins like I don't think he's going to really outproduce the what he did last year by that much. Adam Randall is a wild card here. If Adam Randall is as good as his recruiting tape is, and he was able to come back from that ACL injury well enough, then yeah, that knocks Burning Stool out here. But like when you look at drafts, who are the top two receivers from Clemson that come off the board first? It's Antonio Williams and then Jake Burningstool. I don't think Nate's really going outside the. I don't think he's going really outside that much here. So I'm going to keep this one and got some heat. Yeah, agree. I uh, when it comes to wings, habanero is like pretty off limits for me. I I don't do spice as well. So like the fact that. I have drafted Brining Stool and like I like him. This makes sense. You look at the data from last year, it feels pretty close. Uh, you know, I I think if you would have said the best receiver, I would have said, yeah, get oh me. yeah. Give me some water. at least you know, Devil's Anus feels like the point if he's the, gonna lead. But like, you know, 40 and 400 for a tight end isn't all that unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a young quarterback. So yeah, this one's just give me some or got some heat. This is pretty low. Alrighty, well, I'm going to go ahead and put mine in the last one here for Devil's Anus because, like, anytime you predict a true freshman tight end at a school or at a school that really nobody's really looking at for tight end production, well, I guess we're kind of looking at it, but because it's a Jeff Brom system. But Nate says, true freshman Jamari Johnson finishes as a top 10 tight end. Lots of hype going on over there. But you also still got, uh, what was his name? Lifson, who caught the two touchdowns in the spring game. I think, again, I think it's just a hot take anytime you say that a true freshman tight end is going to finish in the top 10 tight ends for CFF. Just like in just like in the NFL, like in the NFL, t- rookie tight ends hardly ever work out for you. That's why you don't draft them and redraft and everything. Even though receivers, running backs, they tend to do really well because it takes a couple years from the, them to get going. Same thing happens in college. Freshman tight ends typically are not going to finish in the top 10 of tight ends unless they're a cheat code like cj donaldson or they're freaking brock bowers who oh i don't know is probably the best tight end prospect that we've seen in decades so i don't think jamari johnson is going to quite be that so i think it's very much devil's anus here i appreciate the boldness on this one nate chris your thoughts i don't know you may have just gotten yourself a devil's anus hot take there brock bowers best See a uh, tight end prospect in decades. We'll we'll table that maybe for this week in a, a Twitter. Maybe conversation, maybe, maybe dec- um, decade decade. There. Okay. Okay. Decade. I'm, I'm cool with that. I I, I dig it. Uh, I agree. I you know this is extremely hot. I I see where Nate's coming from because he's gotten a ton of uh, positive comments. Oh yeah. You know, due in years past with Brom has had some very productive tight ends. 
Payne Durham and others. Um, so I can see where it's coming from, but to say any true freshman tight end, like you're saying, like you said, is going to be a top 10 tight end is incredibly bold. Uh, but I will give Nate, you know, he, he really lacked on the first two, mm-hmm. you know, he was very disappointing, but he made up for it with well, the Carolina Reaper. To be fair, the last one, like or the, the first one with the Mari Nyblock, he said that it was a mild plus and like, and like, to be fair, like nobody's really been talking about Nyblack, so I'll, I'll give him that one. The the middle one, the the actual spiciness versus what he claimed it to be was not. That was like when when you order the wings and you're like, oh yeah, give me the hottest thing you got here, and then they bring it to you and you're like, oh god, this is like mild at other restaurants at best. Yeah. So yeah, so, all right, that's I, I do like this one a lot though. I think um, I'm I'm drafting right now. I'm really hoping in a supplemental that it, he falls to me because that's my next. My next pick. Honestly, I, I probably need to go check all my dynasty leagues and see if like uh, he's hanging out on any waiver wires because I don't think a lot of people are drafting him right now. Anyway, we're almost above time here, so we're gonna go through this last part here really, really quick. And if you want an even deeper dive into some of these games, definitely check out uh, Chris's podcast coming out here early this week. Chris, why don't you tell the folks about that real quick? Let them know what you and Ethan are doing. Of course. Of course. Yeah, for sure. So to give you guys a preview of what that's going to look like this week, again, we're going to run through this really quickly because unfortunately we're just kind of out of time here for the most part. But we're going to run through these. There's seven games for week zero this week. Okay, I'm just going to ask you for each of these games, what is one question? Because, you know, we've been speculating all offseason. Now we get to actually see these teams in action. What is one question you want answered in each of these games? So we'll start with the first one here. NBC, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. First college football game of the season. Navy at Notre Dame. So, Kay, what is one question you would like to see answered in this game? I am going to go to the other side here. I'm actually going to go to Navy. This is kind of out there and everything, but I want to see Dave Favana again. This dude, like, again, it's not typical for these um, these triple option running backs to or fullbacks, running backs, either one, to really kind of separate from the pack. But, like, Favana out-carried, um, out-carried the second running back by about, uh, what was that, almost, almost 100 carries last year? He only got six touchdowns and everything, but if like we kind of saw with Brad Roberts last year with Air Force, like experienced guy coming back, maybe they feed him a ton this year. Big thing for him is that you know he has only three bye weeks during the regular season, so he's not that 
because uh, he plays week zero and he has the uh, army versus navy game so like he's he's out for several several weeks but you know i'm excited to see him see how that plays out let's go to the 5:30 game on cbs sports network the utah or excuse me utah excuse me utep miners versus jacksonville state gamecocks here k what is one question you would like to see answered in this game Mm-hmm. I agree. They're definitely one of the bigger question marks from this offseason. Because like we have their we have their um stats from previous years, but like hardly any of us are really watching their games. They bring in Rich Rodriguez to run their offense, so we kind of have an idea of what that looks like. But again, we got we got to see it for ourselves. On the other side here with the UTEP Miners, I'm interested in Deion Hankins, the running back. Um, he's supposedly their top running back option there, but he has wide receiver eligibility on fan tracks. I've been drafting him kind of late in some drafts. With the possibility that if he's a guy that's getting like like anywhere from like 15 to 20 carries per game, that could be potentially like not like, you know, not like a CJ Donaldson level cheat code, but like that could potentially be like a small cheat code to throw into your wide receiver lineups just because of the amount of volume that he will get on a game by game basis. And he's playing in the CUSA, so it's not like he has tough defenses to play against. So I'm interested to see what kind of volume they give Hankins there. Speaking of games uh, where I question if I care, um, or as Case as said, do I care? Uh, the 7 p.m. game on ESPN here, UMass at New Mexico State. Kay, what are you looking for in this game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Diego might be the only like legitimately like keyed in interesting thing about this game because I'm, I'm I'm curious about him too, but. I'm I'm stealing you from the last one. Like this is a do I care? Do like these 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 teams are both going up against bad defenses this week in week zero. If they can't produce this week, if they can't find guys that can explode against defenses this bad, there's nothing I want on either one of these two teams because I'm not going to rely on any. I'm like yeah, maybe they have a surprise game against a good defense one week, but if they can't do it this week, I don't want them at all. So that's probably what I'll be searching for and like looking for guys that like, okay, if you're playing a bad team, you're a good choice, but otherwise I don't want you. Let's move on here to Ohio versus San Diego State. 7 p.m. game on Fox Sports 1 here. Kay, what are you most interested in this game? 
It is. Mm-hmm. So once again, I'm going to flip to the other side here in terms of what um, in terms of what I'm looking for at San Diego State. Brian Dutcher at San Diego State has produced some really really good. CFF running backs for us in the past. Last year, they got away from that. Just too many options back there. Nobody was really breaking away. Does that change this year? Do they find the hot hand in this game and maybe start riding him the rest of the way? Because again, Ohio, they're going to be awesome in the MAC. But again, once they play outside the MAC, that defense is nothing to, or is really nothing to sneeze at at all. They're not very good. I think if they're going to find the running back that they rely on at San Diego State, this is a game where a guy can pop and they could be like, okay, you're somebody we can rely on. So that's what I'll be looking for on the San Diego State side of things here. Hawaii at Vanderbilt, the 730 game on SEC Network. By the way, anytime I say a time, like a starting time, it's always going to be Eastern Standard Time because, sorry, all oh, that's just where I live. Um, okay, Hawaii or Vanderbilt, what are you looking for here, man? Mm-hmm. 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 yeah because then like again they're going up against an sec defense which you know is vanderbilt but still like that is that is a jump up in competition for them so they're probably not going to score a ton this week but if we could just lay eyes on who is getting all those snaps in the slot i agree that's going to be important for down the line vanderbilt I want to see my boy Cedric Alexander. Been high on him all offseason. I think this is the perfect opportunity for him to get a ton of reps against a lower opponent. Vanderbilt can really see what they have out of him. If they get him like 15 to 20 carries in this game or touches, I'll know that like in a good matchup, Vanderbilt he could be very productive for Vanderbilt. So I'm excited to see that. Two more games here. San Jose State versus USC. Okay, what are you looking for in this matchup?
I just don't know if we're going to get that answer in this game because again, like they're I mean they're going to run a ton, but like I just don't think that they're going to risk giving either one of them twenty carry like ten to 15, even more than ten to fifteen carries in this kind of game, unless you know San Jose somehow pushes them, which I'd be shocked by. I'm interested on the San Jose State side. We talked about it earlier. Justin Lockhart, my baby, he is apparently going to be out. Like he is in a cast. He did not participate in the scrimmage. Very likely does not play in this game. Who steps up at wide receiver for San Jose State? Is it Charles Ross? Is it Nick Nash, the former quarterback turned wide receiver who's gotten some hype over there this offseason? I'm very interested to see that because as much as I love Lockhart, if he's not playing, like I think one of those guys could end up Wally pipping him, and it could be somebody that you're definitely looking at as a week zero, even week one waiver wire pickup if what's going on with Lockhart is worse than we fear. All right. True. Bonus question here. What does this offensive line look like for San Jose State? Because they were one of the worst in the country last year when it came to giving up sacks. They bring back almost everybody, so you're hoping that means they've gelled a little bit better together. But also, if you bring back bad, how good is that? I don't know. We'll fi- we'll definitely find out with USC because it's not like their defense is like, you know, the most like hard nosed thing in the world. I can't speak sometimes. Mm hmm. Alrighty, let's one last game here. FIU versus Louisiana Tech. I'm gonna throw my question out here because I kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the show. I'm very interested to see what happens with LA Tech and their passing game. Again, without Marquise Crosby there, and with potentially without their RB2 there, I think that we're gonna see a healthy, healthy dose of either Smoke Harris or Cyrus Allen. Who does Hank Bachmeyer rely on? on a week-by-week basis, I think that they are going... I I think we're going to find out in this game. Because FIU, while they're a terrible, terrible team, I think they'll provide just enough competition to where LA Tech's going to force to actually throw to the guys that they need to. So, Kay, what are you looking for in this game? Fair. Mm-hmm. I would say he'll be fine this USA.
Alrighty, that is our week zero preview, our quick little crash course there. Again, we got that done in about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, again, this show's running long. So we will go ahead and wrap it up here for you guys. Um, Kay, you kind of talked about the podcast that you and Ethan are going to be doing throughout the offseason. Are you going to be doing anything else along with that? If so, let the people know. Yeah, so we're going to try it a little bit differently this year. Uh, we're going to do a, a main slate write-up, obviously, for DraftKings. We're going to be talking about prize picks. I think Ethan wants to do kind of like a, a top plays or a favorite options on prize picks and written content as well as the video content will do. We're also going to try to do some shorts, like some shorter videos, three to five minutes on maybe like, you know, our, our favorite prize picks options and why just give other people, you know, people different options and, and ways to listen and to congest the data and the the thoughts. So we'll kind of vary topics week to week in terms of those shorter videos, but just giving you guys a different kind of a different sense of uh, ways to listen, ways to understand what we're thinking. And then also to try to incorporate the night slate as well from DraftKings. Um, on Fridays, I would imagine, because usually they take forever to release those types of things. So we'll have some sort of written content, I believe, on the night slate as well. So what I'm hearing, Kay, is that you, Ethan, and the rest of our CFF DFS team will be the place to go to for people who want to get an advantage in their DFS content, co- content, content and contests moving forward, because you guys are all over it. Uh, in terms of what we got going on over here at CTN, next week we will get back to our in-season content. We'll have two shows a week we'll be doing one waiver actually no next next week we're going to only do the week one preview show but then the week afterwards we'll be back to two shows a week one for the waiver wires and the second one for the start and sit segment that was a huge success for you guys last year we're bringing it back this year and this year i have mr justin from volume pigs who will be joining me on a weekly basis to help you guys settle your sit start dilemmas and we have awesome awesome weekly projections coming to us from nicholas ian allen on our c2c winning edge package that is where you are going to be able to find all of that so we got a lot of awesome stuff ahead for you guys really appreciate you guys listening to the longer show okay appreciate you coming on here today sir guys season's right here i can't believe we're here by the time we talk next time we're gonna have actual football to watch so can't wait for it We'll see you guys next week. Have a wonderful and blessed week.